evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning once again. Anybody want batteries? Anybody need some batteries? Double A's? No? Okay. Yeah, dead batteries? Anybody? No. <laughs> Good morning once again. Um, we are in, in the midst of uh, my, my summer series while I'm here of the greatest Bible stories ever told to children and my take on them and taking them from a children's story into our own. Um, and we have been doing a coloring contest, uh, hotly con- contested. Huge amount of turnout in this coloring thing. If you remember last week, uh, two weeks ago, Hannah Good was our winner. Um, Hannah Good was Hannah Great. Uh, this week she was sick. We were very sad. Uh, she's usually 9.30. She wasn't here. Um, but somebody apparently uh, who runs around the CLC hates art um, and threw away all of your uh, submittals for last week, which is a shame because we had a $100 gift card to Paisano's for the winner um, this week. Uh, just kidding. It was a koozie again. But... Um, Maybe y'all are just trying to tell me you don't want any more koozies, and that's what it is. But uh, so there are coloring sheets back there, and I love the picture that, that, I, that I found this week. It looks like um, Jesus has gone to one of those hair-drying places that blows your hair out really big. Um, it's, it looks great. So I expect all of you, at least some of you who have, um, you know, strength to, to submit a, a coloring sheet. So the wind and the waves, Jesus calming the wind and, and, and the waves and, and what a great story this is. First, let's talk about water. Let's talk about water from the eyes of, of a Jew. Now, what you're thinking to yourself, I'm sure, is, self, weren't many of the disciples fishermen? Didn't they grow up around the Sea of Galilee? Yes. Yes, indeed they did. However, the thing is, think of it if you're a coast person. You're either kind of a lot of times there are people that fish in the flats and people that go offshore to chase rigs and, you know, go out to the oil rigs and stuff. They were flats fishers. They were, uh, they stayed around the coastline for the most part. They didn't get very far out. And there's a reason why. Because they and most of the Jews were very afraid of the water. The water was, they were like a big, huge population of cats. The water was um, evil. 
It's cats is what I said. It's kind of funny. So cat lovers are like, oh, it's not funny. So both of you calm down. The water, it was seen as evil. It was seen as a place where, um, where it just powerful, powerful, this abyss in which it was just destructive forces. Now, if you're on the Sea of Galilee, and, and some of you in this room have been there, and, and I was there with these two uh, not too long ago, and, and we took a boat onto the Sea of Galilee, and it was just this beautiful day, just a gorgeous day. The sea was like glass. Uh, it was awesome. I grew up water skiing on Lake Travis, and you wanted those days, right, where it was just, it looked like a sheet of, gra- of glass and you just take off and this is what it looked like that day when we were out there and just beautiful weather and we go out and, and they cut the engine off and it's just so peaceful right in the middle um, of the of the sea and you just experience and you look around and on one side you have this whole the orthodox triangle area where where the disciples would have come from and where all the really hardcore jews were and then you look over here and you have the um the the decapolis where where the Gentiles were, and over in this corner where the zealots are, and you have all these different areas um, around the sea, and you just get to experience all this stuff and, and realize that all the things that Jesus did right around there, not to mention what he did actually on the sea. But then what you remember is maybe you remember this story, and you remember what happened, and you remember how it happened. See, here's the thing. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It's way down there. All around it are these mountains with these chutes cut through them. If you've ever been to Chicago or any big city and you've been walking along the, you know, through the big buildings and everything, and you're behind a building, and then all of a sudden you step into like a little alleyway, and you just get blasted with wind. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever experienced that? Like when you're walking through Chicago, especially when that wind comes off the lake and, and you're just walking there and the wind just whips through. See, what's happening is the wind is coming with full force, but it finds these obstacles, these buildings. And so it finds the hole with which it can travel. The same thing happens here at the Sea of Galilee. What happens is this wind comes from like the west and it'll just be hauling through. Then it finds these mountains and it gets funneled into these little wind tunnels. And it just comes with full force through there and hits the sea. Today, there exists this beautiful beach right on the Sea of Galilee. And you can park your car really close to the beach. But there are signs posted along this little stretch that warns people not to park their cars there. Because if this were to happen, the waves would flood their cars. And it can happen like that. If you grow up around the Sea of Galilee, you know this. You know what's going on here. You know that when the wind comes, it can just stir this sea up in huge ways all of a sudden. Another reason to be afraid, going out onto that sea. And yet there they find themselves, kind of crossing over the other side. Now what's been going on? So what's been going on is, this is chapter 4 of Mark. And previously in Mark, what he's been doing is, he's been healing people. He's been teaching, he's been healing people, he's been teaching, he's been healing people, he's been teaching. And then he decides to move and go across the other side. So he's been all in this Orthodox corner. He's been with all the Jews and he's been doing these amazing teachings, teachings. And he's, he's healed a man who was paralyzed. So all these things. In fact, there's so many people now who are coming around to hear what Jesus is saying and doing that it says in chapter three that Jesus gets out into the boat 
and begins to teach from there so that the people wouldn't just be crushing up on him. So many people are wanting to hear what Jesus has to say, that he's forced to kind of flee into the safety of the water, which I find very ironic and funny. But he's standing back there. I couldn't see you people. It was driving me nuts. <laughs> he's standing back there and, and, and just teaching and doing all this stuff. Now, every Sunday when I'm preaching, when I get up and, and, I, and I share, and I, I'm kind of a personal preacher. You, you all know this. And um, from time to time, if I talk about grace, I'll start crying and blah, 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 whatever. And, but once I do this, and because I don't, because of the way in which I deliver my sermons, I just, it, it drains me. I leave a lot up here. So when I go home, I'm just like my mind, I'm, my face is just like this. I walk in, they're like, Dad's home. I need PGA golf to put me to sleep, you know. It's golf class. It's great to go to sleep to. So I, I go home, and this is our Sunday ritual. I'm just, I'm just white. I go home, and I take a nap. I love Sunday naps. They're the best thing ever. Um, and people are like, amen, hallelujah. First time we've gotten a hallelujah for a nap, but I love it. Um, so yeah, it's just great. I, I love doing this. I can't imagine what it would be like for Jesus as more and more people are coming and hearing what he's having to say and he's doing all this stuff and he's chosen his 12 and he's got his group together and all this stuff. And he keeps teaching them his stuff, teaching, teaching, teaching. And he's like, but I know they're not getting it. They're just, oh, gosh, they're not there yet. And I'm just going to leave it out on, on the sea. I'm just giving everything I have, giving everything I have. And, he, it just some, and he's like, all right, got to go to the other side. <clears throat> Gets in the boat, and he's done. I, I love because I can, this is such a normal thing for somebody who's preaching to do. He get, they get in the boat to cross the other side of the lake. It's not like he was setting them up for something. So let's, let's have a test here. I know there's going to be wind coming through. Let's see how the disciples handle it. No. He's just been teaching and preaching. He needs a Sunday nap, you know? And so he gets in the boat. He puts his head on a cushion. I love the, I love the picture of him on a pit. Like he's like, hey, Peter, give me your cloak. Whew. Oh, yeah, there you go, you know? And they set off to the other side. What do you think the disciples are doing? I, I, love, I love this image of what the disciples are doing. Don't you think? Jesus is in the back of the boat. He's got his head on his pillow. He's out. You know they're at the front of the boat going, okay, what did he mean about the mustard seed? I, wait, I thought you were, I thought, you don't know? Well, no. Okay, well, what do you think he meant about that? Shh. You know, they're totally watching him, looking at him, probably discussing it. They're, little, they're kids. And all this stuff's been happening. And they're like, guy was paralyzed. Now he's not. Don't wake him up. Or maybe, or maybe they were like, hey, rabbi's taking a nap. We better take a nap. Right? A good disciple does what the rabbi does, and if they see him taking a nap, maybe they're like, hey, Time to get some shut eye. I don't know what's about to happen over there at the Decapolis, but we're heading over there. Oh boy, if Jesus is sleeping, we better sleep. But you know, all this stuff's going through their mind, right? They've got to be just, just fired up. All of these people, so many people that he has to get out onto the water to teach. They leave and people get in boats and they're following them. 
How cool is it to be in the boat with Jesus? First of all, if you're a 12-year-old boy, it's like, that's right. That's right. I'm in his boat, uh, you know. And then how am I, like, just starting to process this stuff. And they go, and then here come these waves. Here comes this wind. Ripping through one of those tunnels. The waves start coming up. They start freaking out because here comes evil. Here comes power. Here comes abyss. Here it comes just on top of them about to swamp their boat. And they cry out, Jesus! Help! And he gets up. And he says in one translation, Shut up! I love that because it offends my mother-in-law so much. And I said it when she was here at 932. Be quiet. And then he turns to the disciples. He goes, really? You still don't have it? So let's think about what the disciples do after that. They're like, who is this man? Who is this man that can tell the wind and the waves to stop? Think about it from their perspective. Now, when they get out here and they have all these waves and everything, they think Jesus is this prophet. They think he's kind of, he's he's an amazing rabbi. They're following him. They're great. We're in with Jesus. He's a great prophet. Jonah. Last time a prophet was on a boat and stuff started happening like this. What did they do to comment? They threw Jonah in. Then you start thinking about the people of Israel and they're crossing through the Red Sea and the Exodus and they begin with this destructive power of water. It wiped out the most powerful nation on earth at the time, Egypt. Wham! Then they go back maybe to Noah and the flood and then they maybe find themselves back at creation when all life springs forth from this deep sea. The power of water is huge. And this guy just woke up from a nap and stopped it. Who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves listen to his voice. In Bible school, what we always do is we teach the story and we're like, that's right. Jesus has the power to stop the wind and the waves. He has the power to rebuke the wind and to calm the sea. Our God is powerful and mighty. Amen. Hallelujah. N.T. Wright points out in his writings on this. He says, The first people who read this gospel of Mark, the first church, the early church as they're reading this, they would have understood what it meant to fear the sea. They would have understood what it meant to to be afraid to be a believer in Jesus Christ because your life was on the line. They understood what what was going on and, and, and what was happening in this area of the world because they lived there. And he said, you know what? It was right for them to call out to Jesus. Jesus, help. He says, and today, he says, don't think that we don't have times of fear and anger and frustration. Don't think that the local church still doesn't stand against forces that want to destroy it. Don't think that you shouldn't find yourself in a place where you need to cry out to Jesus. 
where you find yourself in a boat and waves are just coming and coming and coming and you feel like you're going under and so the only thing you can do is cry out, Save me! But then, he says, when Jesus comes and you see the water starting to calm behind you, don't be surprised if he looks at you and goes, where's your faith? See, this is the Paul Harvey other side of the story that we don't tell the kids in Bible school. Because I think when Jesus says this, where's your faith? He wasn't talking about faith in him. He was talking about the faith that the disciples had in themselves. Because I think what he's saying is, hey, why'd you wake me up? I was comfy. And you could have handled this. See, what we don't tell our kids in Bible school all the time is that while Jesus does have the power to stand and rebuke the wind and the waves and is who we should call out to in times of trouble, that we too have the power to rebuke the wind and the waves. We too have the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, greater things than even I have done will you do. He sent us out not to continually call on his name and say, hey Jesus, I'm in another bind, can't get myself out. He sent us out to walk into rooms where trouble and turmoil and waves are crashing over and to bring peace. You are the ones who are going to walk into those places where darkness exists and where hurt and anger and frustration and pain are. And you are the ones who are going to walk into those rooms and bring peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, he tells us. Jesus Christ gave us this strength. I think time and time again, what he's teaching about, he's teaching about this parable. He's like, uh, he goes, oh, right before all this happens, he's like, hey, there's some seeds and you scatter these seeds and some people just don't get it, you know, right? Like some seeds fall on rocks and birds come and they pick them up. Some fall on the thorns and the thorn bushes just crap them out. And, you know, and, and then there's the good soil on those seeds. Oh, yes. It's like this mustard seed, the faith of a mustard seed is so small and then it becomes a huge thing. He's teaching, teaching, teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. This is his message. When he goes into the sea and the wind and the waves start going nuts, Jesus stands up and asserts that through the power of Christ, the kingdom of God has arrived. Who has power over creation? God. Who has power over evil? God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, what Mark's doing is Mark is leading his disciples in his story. He's, he's building them up to chapter 8. Because right here, the disciples are like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves, and they understand that this is a huge, creative, powerful force. Who is it that even they listen to him? They go across as they get to the other side of the sea, and they're confronted with this guy who's been suffering with all these demons. And Jesus casts them into a herd of pigs and they go off into the water and die. 
And then he brings a little girl back from the dead. And he heals this woman uh, of, of, of bleeding condition. It's just, uh, just bam, 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 bam. He's leading him to eventually in chapter 8. Peter goes, oh, you're the Messiah. I get it. You're the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is here. See, but we, what we need to do is not fall into the trap and think that the kingdom of God left when Jesus left. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here, now, is at hand. The kingdom of God, the power of God, the strength of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us is here. I have the power to walk into a hospital room where a child is hooked up to many different things. And I see their parents freaking out and I walk in and I bring peace. Not because I'm great at walking into hospital rooms, because quite honestly, I hate it. I've been in too many. But because I have a power that dwells inside of me that is greater than I. You have the power to walk into a home where abuse is happening. And turmoil and chaos is happening. And you have the power to bring peace. Cry out to Jesus, amen. But say, hey, Jesus, you want to join me in this? Right? Like, I don't know. It may get boring in heaven, Jesus. So anytime you want to come down and help me, I'm good with that. But I got this until you come back. Imagine what it would be like if we all had that kind of mentality. That, like, overly confident mentality. Like, some of you are like, well, we already know you have it, Crocker. That's right. But imagine what it would be like if we all had that mentality that we could walk into this world of chaos and darkness and we know that we are agents of peace. What it would be like if we started moving into this world with such assurance of the strength of God, the power of the cross, death and resurrection, and the counselor that lives and dwells among us. We walked into this world and where we went Peace followed. What would it be like in your family if you were that person? What would it be like at your office, your school? What would it be like if every time that we came to this table, the table of sacrifice, where we get to experience this tangible presence of God, that when we came up here, we were so filled with joy and the strength of God that when we left here, a wake of peace followed us. So big, Jesus is surfing on the back of it. Because he can play around now. Because it's our turn. Imagine what it would be like if we find ourselves in the position of the disciples in this boat. And we've seen all that Jesus has been doing and we've heard what he's been teaching. We have the gift of knowing what comes after. But we find these moments where these waves are threatening to swamp us or those we care about or even those people we don't even know but we come into contact with. And we say, no, 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 no. Be still! Peace! you're helping with communion, if you would come forward right now, the rest of you, if you would join me in prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you.
for the peace that you have left with us, for the peace that you give us. We thank you and praise you. That on the night that you would be betrayed, you sat with your disciples, you blessed God for the bread, you broke it. You said, take this, eat all of you, this is my body which is given for you. After supper was over, you took the cup, you raised it to heaven, you blessed God, you said, take this, drink all of you. This is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And so we come in remembrance of these mighty acts of sacrifice and salvation. We come acknowledging that by the power of the Holy Spirit, these are the body and blood of Christ, and that as we consume these, we become holy and living sacrifices, proclaiming your glory in a world that needs to hear it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come forward this morning, know a few things. This is not a Methodist table, nor is it an Alma Heights table. It's God's. And because of that, all who care to come and receive this gift are welcome. We do communion here by intinction, which means you'll be given a piece of the bread to which you will then dip into the cup. And there will be prayer on um, either side of the, uh, the stage, should you desire that once you come through. We will do the center sections first, and then once they are done, uh, our servers will move out uh, to those of you um, on the wings. And uh, the table is prepared. Come.